It was really just supposed to be one, one celebrity crush. Some of you had long lists, apparently. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you, as always, week after week. Um, I, I, I know sometimes we make light and kind of uh, joke about living in San Diego and the weather that we have to endure, um, but... Uh, one thing that I, I actually, I don't think I should enjoy as much as I do, but I really enjoy, this time of year we start our baseball season, um, we put the teams together and stuff, and I love posting pictures of my team practicing and playing out under the sun, um, because my friends in other places of the country can't even go outside, and so it's, I, I shouldn't enjoy it, but I do, and so uh, it, it's one thing I really uh, love about San Diego, and um, actually this last year, as many of you know, I do coach baseball, and this last week, we actually put our teams together, we, we have assessments, and then we do a draft, and, and there's only six teams in the division I'm coaching this year, and so the draft is usually like the six of us sit around a, a table, it's, you know, friends or close acquaintances, usually the other coaches, or thought you, we thought we were friends and close acquaintances until the draft comes, and, and uh, but you do that, you put your teams together, and um, then this weekend I got to meet with my team for the first time, and I, I it's funny because I've been doing this a long time, coaching at all different levels, different kids, and Yesterday, I was doing the, kind of the intro speech, and I was thinking to myself, how many times have I said the same thing to a group of players? And, and even last summer, as some of you know, I had the privilege of coaching on a team that went to the World Series, and how many times did I give the same speech to those kids over and over again? And it sounds a little bit like this. This is the, the basics, basis of it is, hey, glad to have you on the team. Um, you were my first pick. And, and <laughs> but we're so glad to have you on the team. Now, this year, as we look forward, uh, we want you to have a great time. We want you to enjoy what you're doing. We want you to improve. We're going to work hard. And, but at the end of the day, it's all about if we are not a team, it doesn't really matter. If we can't get along, we can't work together, if we don't care more about the name on the front of our jerseys than we do on the name on the back, it's just we are not going to succeed. So something along that. It's basically, it's a cliche speech. It's in every Disney movie before the big game. And, and, and it's like in every epic movie before the final battle, there's something like that. Of a, we are all together and it's, you know, about something bigger. But it's cliche for a reason, I think, because it's important. And, and, and I was kind of thinking yesterday, what if I did the speech the exact opposite? What if I started off and said, hey guys, welcome to the team it really doesn't matter about our team. Who really cares about if we lose every game? It's just all about you. As long as you can, you know, love you some you, and it's all about how you do this year, and, and don't even worry about your teammates. Don't worry about anything. This is just, hey, I, I just want you to shine. And, and, but who cares about the team? If the speech sounded like that, it, it probably would. Now, I know some of you say, well, if everyone did their, was awesome, then you would be good. You're messing up with my analogy. But um, the point is, it's important anytime you have an organization, a team, or whatever, that it isn't about the individual. It's about the shared mission. And we've been in a little mini-series here called Together to start off our year. And it's just a reminder of what is God inviting us into 
as individuals walking with the Lord, but also what's he inviting us into as a community together with him on mission with God, and what does God want to accomplish through his people? And as we think about that, I, I was thinking, what's the appropriate way to end this series? What is a good way to, to wrap up these three weeks? And I really felt like this week the Lord uh, just put on my heart that we would spend some time in the book of John chap- chapter 17. And John 17 is, some call it the high priestly prayer, and it essentially is Jesus's uh, final kind of detailed prayer that's recorded in scripture, and it's a prayer that he prayed for his people before he was handed over and faced crucifixion. And, and I thought of, you know, someone's final words, or if someone has this, the last thing that they want to share with someone, that's usually pretty significant, and we want to pay attention to that. If it's a, the last words of someone on their deathbed, or even the last words that you give to a, a child before they go off to college, or or perhaps the last words you want to share before they get married, or even on a small scale, the last words before someone leaves the house in the morning or you drop your kids off at school, what is that that you want to resonate with them? For some, it's like, hey, try to stay out of trouble today, you know, or whatever it is, but we want to leave these words. And so I thought it's interesting that I I think that Jesus' last prayer here for his disciples is very significant, something we should think about, and what a great way to wrap up this idea of what does it mean to be together with him on mission. So that's where we're going today, and I want to invite you to pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you again for today. I thank you uh, for this great place to live and um, people to worship and celebrate alongside uh, each other as we reflect on who you are. And I ask now, Lord, that your words would be mine, that you would shape and challenge me and shape and challenge each person in here, that we may see you more clearly, that we may understand who you are more, and that we may grow in our belief in all of your character and and qualities. And God, so we thank you, and we know you're here with us, and we just ask that you would open our hearts and our eyes to hear and see you today and give you this time. Amen. So let's turn to the book of John, chapter 17. If you're relatively new to scripture, it's about two-thirds way through in what we call the New Testament. And so the book of John, and in chapter 17, these are, uh, this is a prayer that Jesus prays. And, and so he's praying for his disciples, and we're going to break down section by section. So I'll, I'll read a few verses, and then we'll kind of talk it through a little. So he starts off, and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was." Now let's stop there, and this is kind of one of those times if, if when you hear this, this sounds like Jesus is speaking Christianese here. There's, there's a lot of terminology going on in here, and, and so anytime you have a passage of scripture, if you just read that and you thought, I have no idea what he is talking about, you want to pause a little and, and say, okay, what are some of these words that will help us understand this? So one of the big words here is, first of all, he talks about glory, and 
We need to understand, okay, if he's asking, speaking about God's glory and all this, let's, let's get a definition for it. So, and I have it for you on the screen, but think of it this way. Glory is the greatness of God. It's his attributes that are on display. So when we talk about God's glory, we mean his, his wisdom, his power, his love. It, it's his attributes in, in the full greatness of w- what makes him who he is. And, and this, so this is, when we say God's glory, we mean his characteristics that describe him in his greatness. And uh, we, we use this phrase sometimes in kind of colloquial English. Sometimes we'll say like, oh, there he stood in all his glory. And essentially that's just saying in all his, his character is showing and his attributes are showing. And so that's similar to this. So when we talk about the glory of God, it is the greatness of God and his attributes that are on display. And, you know, when we read through scripture, we, we, we read in the Psalms, they say that all creation declares the glory of God. Maybe a beautiful sunset or a majestic mountain declares God's glory. It declares that there's a creator that decra- declares that, that he loves beauty and that there's just this power and majesty. I don't know if you've ever seen like just this powerful waterfall or huge waves. We had good waves this weekend and you see a big waves and to me I think, man, there's so much power in this, and even that can declare the glory of God. It declares the attributes of God that is a mighty and powerful God. So, first we need to understand glory is the greatness of God and his attributes on display. So, then the second word in here that we're going to hear a lot today is to glorify. So, and, and glorify, we can put the definition up there on the screen, is uh, when we talk about to glorify, it's feeling, thinking, and doing what we do in a way that reflects the greatness of God. It gives evidence of his supreme greatness in all of his attributes. So feeling, thinking, and doing the things that we do that declare or reflect the greatness of God. So when we talk about glorifying God, often maybe that's a word that we use when we're singing. Oh God, we, we glorify your name. And, and certainly as we sing praises about God, it's one way that we can declare his character and his His qualities and greatness and that is one way but it's not just a musical thing it's not just a prayer thing it's feeling and thinking and doing what we do in a way that reflects the greatness of God and so the way we live our lives does it give evidence to the character of God the way we think about things the way we process is it giving evidence of of the attributes of God I I think of it this way of you can even think in your in we look at this world and say, okay, I don't know if you've heard anybody in the last few years or, you know, five to one year or last week say they look around and they feel like the world's kind of a chaotic, hopeless place. I don't know. I've sat with people who just say, like, there's just no hope and this, it's, uh, there's nowhere to turn. And when I can have these conversations and say, I know that sometimes the world is out of control. I know it feels that way. But I can find peace in the midst of chaos. Because I, my anchor is not in the circumstances. Because I believe at the end of the day that there's a God who's over all of this stuff. And my life is in his hands. So I can think about things. I can even feel peace in the midst of chaos. That doesn't mean that you never have real human emotions that are frustration or, or heartache or any of that. Because we go through ups and downs. But at the midst of it, can you turn and say, I trust that ultimately God is in control. And what happens is I'm in his hands for better and for worse. So the way I think about those situations actually put the character of God on display. It says, I believe that he's sovereign. 
I believe that he's in control. I believe that he's over all things, that he's powerful. And so that's one way that we can glorify God, just even the way we process and look at life. So Jesus begins this first section here, and he's praying, and essentially what he's saying is, God, I want your fullness of who you are on display in me. Now, Jesus is praying this, and we believe that Jesus is God in flesh. And so he's praying to the Father, and there's some interesting things that happen here. First of all, let's look at verse uh, 4. When Jesus says, I glorified you, I put your character, your greatness on display on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So Jesus says, I put all of your greatness on display through my life, the work, the life that I live, and the work that he's about to accomplish, what he's referring to, is once and for all taking care of the penalty for death, I mean for sin, as he died on the cross, so he's about to. He's saying, when I accomplish these things, Father, I am glorifying your name. I'm putting your greatness on display. I am showing that you are a just God, but that you are loving and a merciful God. Your character is on display. The way Jesus lived and interacted with others, the way he loved and offered for grace and forgiveness, is putting the wisdom, the love, the, and all of the power of God is on display in the life of Christ. So he says, my life was all about that. Now, verse 5. I want to take a quick side note. This is a theological side note for those of you who like to dig deeper. When he says, glorify me, now put, you, now put my character and likeness, greatness on display with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And this is one of the verses that for the last 2,000 years, scholars and, and people who've studied have used to say there's, that there's this trinity, that God exists in the trinity, that Jesus, the Son, and the Father are one. And he said, hey, Jesus didn't just start existing 30 years before he said this. He said, I had the full glory. In other words, the greatness and all the attributes of God I shared with the Father before the world was made. So that's a theological side note. This is not the only verse that we use to talk about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one. But this is one of those. So Jesus starts off, and his prayer is that, and, and that we need to understand is that God's glory is seen in Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean for us? I believe he starts a prayer this way because anytime we are joining with God on his mission, which we all are as soon as we acknowledge who he is, is we need to begin with the central theme in our lives to be God's glory. The greatness of God on display. It's not about our own greatness. It's not about how amazing we can be as individuals. It's not about how amazing we can be as a church community. It's not about any of those things. It's the greatness of God on display. And so Jesus models this for us and says, before we get anywhere, our chief desire, our, our primary focus needs to be, God, we want you to show up in our lives, and we want everyone who sees us, interacts with us, to experience your greatness, not ours. It's not about the name on the back of the jersey. It's the name on the front. God, you glorify yourself. You put your name on display. That's what it's about. At Seacoast, we talk about we want to help people discover life in Christ. We want you to help you understand what it means as we follow him, walk with him, as he lives his life through us. We want that. We want that for you. We want that for your family, for your coworkers, for the people in North County. 
We want that for our, our partners all across the world as we send missionaries, as we invest overseas even. We want the name of Jesus to be made known here and to the ends of the earth. And hopefully we can do that well. We want to do it well. We're committed to excellence in doing that. But we're not committed to excellence so that people say, wow, Sika is so amazing. Their missionaries are so amazing. Their worship is so amazing. We hope that is all true, but what we ultimately want, and because when we see them, we see the name of Jesus on display, the character, the greatness of God. That is our goal. When we want to love people to the ends, and the ends of the earth, when we want to help those who are broken and hurting, we want God's name to be lifted up, not ours. It's not about us at the end of the day. And that's a prayer that Jesus models for us. Start with that. God, it is about you. Now, he continues to pray here. This next section, verse 6, he says this. I have made, my, I've made your name known to the men whom you've given me out of this world. And it, he's talking about the men and women who are following him, his disciples at this point. They were yours when you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they've come to know everything you have given to me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them, that they re, and they have received them, and truly understood that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. So the first part is, hey, God, I, I thank you for those who are already, who've joined with me, who are followers of me. I've given my disciples, you've given them to me. They've received our teaching. They've accepted your words. They've, they're obeying what you've said. Now, verse 9, on, I ask on their behalf, I don't ask on behalf of the world, but on those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. Uh, some translations, I like the NIV, the way they put it this way is, and they say, glory ha Jesus says, glory has come to me through them. I like that translation a little better than this one here. For he's saying, the disciples you've given me, they've received the word and, and they've received our teaching and they're all on, they're on board. And glory or the greatness of God is being made known through them. So he's praying a prayer of thanks and, and indicating this. Now, one thing I, I love about this is he's praying for these disciples and saying how they're obedient, how they're receiving the word. And in the next five or six or 12 hours of his life, Jesus knows that every one of them are going to scatter and depart from him. Peter is going to deny Jesus three times this very night. But Jesus is saying, hey, I, I'm praying for these disciples. I'm so grateful that they've received our teaching and they're obeying and they're, they're all in. If you ever feel like, you know, you don't measure up in your faith, which we all have those moments all the time, know that Jesus here, he didn't use that as a qualifier for his disciples. He didn't say, God, I thank you so much for those that are, who perfectly follow me and those who are never going to fail. You've given me, they're, they're in. He's, he's saying, thank you for these disciples who, who they receive the word, they believe who you are, glory is coming to my name through their lives. Oh yeah, in, a, in about five hours, they're all gonna depart and just give up on me for a little while. <laughs> See, because God is, Jesus isn't using this moment to say, uh, if they perfectly obey or if they're perfect disciples, then I'm praying for them. He's saying, no, they're in. Because ultimately, it's about the light, what Christ does in and through them. 
But so Jesus' next part of that prayer was that his glory, and the challenge for us is can we put God's glory in us? His life on display in us. We start with wanting to be all about him, and we know that that's going to be made known through us. I think of it this way. Here's some practical examples. The way I think about God, does the way I think about things bring glory to God? Does it display his greatness? I'm going to use the example some of you will be comfortable with, some of you will not. That's okay. It's about me right now. I'm telling you my example. This example is uh, how my wife and I look at and think about money. How we think about the money given to us. This sermon is not about money. It's not about giving. It's, I want to give you a practical display or example. We look at, our, <coughs> at the income that we have, the money we have, the stuff that we have, and we believe that it is a blessing from God. And so some might tell us, hey, what you need to do is make sure you're saving this much for retirement, putting this much towards your house, and all of, t- take care of all of this stuff that will give you security. And then whatever's left over, I want you to look at the leftovers, and you can be ge- decide how much you want to be generous with that. That's one way to look at things. And, and I'm not saying it's, that it's bad to plan ahead. And I mean, we plan ahead. We invest in retirement. We do all those things. But... Instead of looking at it that way, we believe strongly that God's calling us to look at, first of all, how can we be generous with what we have first? And when we're generous with what we have first, then we say, okay, now what do we have left over to invest, to take care of uh, the basic needs and all of this stuff? Now, it's a subtle difference, but I believe strongly that that is a way, the way we think about that puts the greatness of God on display. Because what it says and we don't proclaim it and tell everybody, and we don't, you know, but for us and our family, what it does is it says we trust that if God says that he is over all things, that he cares about his people, that he understands our needs, that if we can trust him with this first, that he'll, we're in his hands. Now, we might not have as, he might want us to have less. That might be what he wants. It doesn't mean we're going to get everything we want if we give to him first but we're going to have what we need. And right now, I, we're not saying this as a pity party. We have what we need. We have never missed a meal. We, God has blessed us amazing having this mindset. We had that same mindset even when we didn't have as much. We've had seasons in our lives when we just didn't have as much. When we had to cut out things, like we had to cut meat out of the diet because it costs so much. That was, that was miserable. I looked at my wife and said, hey, can we, she'd say, we're spending too much on groceries and we just don't have the money. And I was like, well, can we just like not have cars or can we like get rid of a kid or whatever it needs? Because I like food and that, I don't, that's not really an area I want to cut in. But, but it, it, I remember the season when I had to cut out ESPN. I'm like, oh, Lord, seriously? You know. But I do believe that having a different mindset of saying, God, but we have what we need, but we want to think about our stuff first is yours, and then you take care of the rest, is putting the greatness of God on display. Even in the way we raise our kids is the same thing. I, we, we talk about the, the three things we want of our kids, and this is something Dale has talked about, and I really appreciate it, is I want our kid, we want our kids to love Jesus, we want them to be involved in a church, and we want them to still like us as parents. <laughs> That's like my goal of, for my kids. That's it. And my wife threw in that she didn't want them to be homeless. And I was like, okay, we can put that one in there. But I, my fourth was that they move out of the house. But, um, 
But those are, so we want them to love Jesus, to, to uh, be involved in a church, and to love us, to have that relationship with us. That's it. Now, I, we, can model, <clears throat> we can model a life that encourages that in them. We pray for that with them. We walk with them, and we try to process things with them. But at the end of the day, we cannot make spiritual deci- decisions for them. They're at the phase in our life where we can make some decisions for them. We can make them clean their room and do the dishes and stuff like that. We can do that, but we cannot make spiritual decisions. But even the way we think about our kids gives us so much freedom to say, God, they are in your hands. And my kids are so much in, in much better hands when they're in God's hands than in mine. Because if their spiritual life was only based on how perfectly I raised them, they're in trouble. <laughs> because I've never done this before. (laughs) But I can trust that they are in God's hands. And actually, I can sleep at night because I say, God, it's up to you. I trust you. That kind of thinking puts the character of God on display. It says, we believe that you are able to grab hold of our kids and hold them close. We believe that you are able to speak to people and draw them into relationship with you. We believe that we can trust you with this. And that puts God's greatness on display. If I run around my life and I helicopter parent their spiritual lives, the only person that's putting on display is me and my ability to raise them perfectly. And so there's, now we have responsibility, but at the same time we trust. And so that's another great way to think in a way that puts God's character on display. Okay, let's continue with the prayer. So Jesus starts off, says it's all about God's glory. And then he says it's, God's glory through his people is what he's praying for. Now in verse 11, <clears throat> he says, I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in this world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that scripture would be fulfilled. Okay, so that's kind of an interesting ending of the prayer. He says, I've kept my disciples, I've kept them safe, none of them have fallen away, well, except for one. And and so, um, please know that you are not going, Jesus is not praying for you and saying like, I can keep them all safe except for that one person who goes to seek us. Yeah, sorry, that person's can't do it. Now, this is actually to fulfill scripture. He's talking about Judas Iscariot who had betrayed him on that night. Um, if you need more security, read Romans 8, and it'll talk about how nothing can grasp you and take you away from the love of God. You're secure in him. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So he is specifically in that end of that verse referring to Judas who uh, betrayed him. But, so, but now let's look at what did he pray specifically for his people? He prayed that they would be protected. He said, I'm no longer in this world. Verse, uh, verse 12, he says, oh, I pr- at the end of 11, he says, I pray that they may be one as we are one. I pray for them. And he goes on and says, I come to you in verse 13, that these things may speak in the world, that they may have joy made full in themselves. I've given them wor- your, the, your word and the world has hated them for it because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So he starts off, when he changes gears now, he's protecting for protection for us. He's saying protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the challenges that they're going to face. And the whole purpose is this, protect their unity. May they be one as we are one. 
And I think that's a significant prayer of Jesus, that what he's asking protection for is to protect the global community of Christ. And I believe that also refers on the local level here at Persecus. Because Jesus knew that his followers were going to come from a lot of different walks of life. That we're going to be different people with different perspectives. I believe he prayed this and he knew that in Seacoast there'd be people who vote on the left and people who vote on the right. And he knew that there's people who like days when we have strings and no drums for our worship. And some of you will like days when there are no strings but lots of drums during worship. And he knew that you're going to come with different perspectives. He knew that some of you were going to cheer for the Patriots today, and the rest of you will do anything but that. He knew that that is the world that we have is that there's a lot of differences. He knew that some of the things that you'll be passionate about, someone else may not have as much passion for. But he prays, in all of that, may they be united. May they know what it's really all about. What is the most important thing? And this, again, is flowing from the glory of God, the greatness of God on display. So Jesus prays that we would be protected from disunity, protected from letting the little things becoming big things. That's one thing that I've shared before that I really love and appreciate about Seacoast is that there's so much diversity in age and diversity in perspectives, and, and, and we all come together. And can be united as one. In fact, I, I'm going to give her a little shout out. I mean, we even have a 95th birthday today for Doris, who's in the back with us, which is so fun. <laughs> and she can still beat half of us up, was what I love uh, about Doris. But what I love is that we can walk together and be united, though we're very different with different perspectives. And we can be together. And Jesus is praying that we can find unity, and unity comes when we put God first. It's his name, his greatness, who he's about. One of the things that we even do is we think about, uh, I appreciate, I met with our uh, global outreach team uh, about a week ago, and one of the things that they really focused on is they were thinking through all of our foreign, our global partnerships, our missionaries and the organizations we work with, and one of the main things that they really cared about is, are we on the same page? Do they care about what we care about? Because here at the church, we invest a, a good amount of our resources to make Jesus' name known to the ends of the earth. But even that team who works with them, it matters to them that we're united in purpose. That at the end of the day, it's about God's name being lifted up. So I, told, I appreciate seeing all that. So Jesus prays that we'd be protected in the midst of all that. Now, he continues to pray now in verse 16. He says, my people, they're not, they're not of this world, even as I am not of this world. So sanctify them in the truth, and your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Okay, Christianese again. <laughs> when you get a passage like this, what word do we need to understand? Yeah, sanctify. So he says it quite a bit here. Sanctify, I'm going to give you a pretty a just simple definition. Think of it as this way of being set apart. So Jesus is praying. He's saying, I want you to set them apart. To, uh, they are living in this world. They're living among people who don't believe what they believe. They're walking in a world where some might look at them and think they're kind of crazy for believing what they believe. I want you to set them apart. And he says, sanctify them. Another way to think of it is to make them holy. He says, and, and that can be done through your, by your truth. 
and your word is truth. The words of God, the more we interact with them, the more we understand them, the more they become a part of us, the more we we understand God's character. It helps us move from unbelief towards belief. And and through that, God changes us. He transforms us. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy and set apart by his work in us. Notice this. He doesn't say, give them the strength to make themselves holy. That would be a, a prayer that would mean we have a lot of work to do. If Jesus says, keep them going so that they know how to make themselves holy. That is not good news. The good news is he says, God, through your power, through your word, would you make them holy? Through your truth, sanctify them, change them, transform them. Because they live in this world. And the world doesn't always believe what they believe. So his prayer is that we may be set apart by God's power. Then in verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. I've been made holy, that they may also be sanctified in truth. Through my life, Jesus is saying, through my life, I make them holy through the work I've accomplished. So I don't ask on behalf of them alone, but for those who will also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one even as you, Father, and I are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus' prayer now turns to the next one. He says, I pray that they are in the world. I don't ask that you take them out. I ask that you send them into the world by my power in them. And I pray on behalf of all those that will believe because of their word. So here's something cool. Some of you in here have been praying for friends, maybe family members, maybe coworkers, people who don't believe in Christ, and maybe you've been pl- praying for them for years and years and years. And maybe you've said, I just don't know if it's ever going to make a difference. I find so much comfort in this that Jesus in this prayer is actually praying for those same people. He's saying, I pray that those who my people go to, I pray for them that they also would receive the word and believe. If ever you think your prayers are insignificant, that's fine because you have the prayers of Christ working with you and for you. And so the heart of God, and make no mistake, the heart of God is that those who are out of relationship with him are drawn into relationship with him. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. He wants your friends your family, the people in your life, the people who we haven't even met yet. He wants them to be in relationship with him. That's his mission that he's invited us to. He's praying for it. He's inviting us to it. I, I, I find such great comfort in this. I was told one day, I, um, I talked to a friend of mine who uh, is, I think, exploring faith a little bit. And uh, he came to an event at, a, at, a ch- at the church at one point, and, and I met him, and I was so encouraged by that, and we were talking about it, and, and then I met one of his family members who I didn't know, but his, his family member was a Christian who's been praying for him and, and, and praying that his life would be transformed and changed. And, and, sh- and she came to me and said, you don't know, this is a huge step, even that he's here right now. I've been praying for him for so long. And somehow he met you and, and now is, you know, on this journey. And at the time, when, before I heard that, 
I thought that God was answering my prayers. Because <laughs> they're like, no, I've been praying for him. So this is cool that he showed up. But what I didn't realize was that he had a family member who's been praying for him for a long time. And I wasn't the one who got, my prayers weren't what God's answering. I was the answer at that point. That he said, you're now in. I, and she said, I've been praying for him, and you ended up popping into his life. And I thought, oh, I thought it was about me and how cool I was. <laughs> but I think it even goes back to this. Jesus has been praying for him much longer than any of us have. He cares. Who are the people in your life that you just care about? Know that the heart of God is that they are brought into relationship, into friendship with him. He wants to restore his creation. One final thing. We're going to skip all the way down to verse 25. As he ends, he says this. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these things have known that you sent, and these have known that you sent me. I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with sorry, with the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Oh righteous Father, thank you that you are making your name known. And my prayer is that the love that is in us will be in them. And they will be one. And I pray that Jesus is praying this for us, that we would experience that love of God that will make us one as we join with him on his mission. His final plea here is that. He doesn't want to leave us alone. He's not saying figure this out on your own. He's not saying figure it out on your own strength. He's saying I pray that all of who, what we have, Father, let's pour into the lives of them and make them one. Let them experience this life that we have for them. I really believe, I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up here in a moment. And um, When I look at this, I think it just brings us back to what is God calling us to as a church? What are we doing together? And when we say together, we want to help people discover life in Christ. The reminder for us this morning as we end is we can do that, but we're in it together. Jesus' prayer is that we walk together, that we have the power of God together for his glory and his name. And so as we end our time here today, I, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. One is in, this, in just a moment, we'll, we'll pray. And I certainly want you to be lifting up each other in prayer. Maybe people you don't even know. You don't know their name. I encourage you throughout the week to pray for the community of Seacoast. That's those of us who gather week after week to be instructed, to be encouraged, to get that shot in the arm that hopefully gives us what we need to continue on throughout the week. Well, I want you to, would you pray, even if you don't know the names, to say, God, I lift up the people at Seacoast. I lift up the church in North County that goes beyond Seacoast. I want to lift up the church of God that spreads throughout the earth, that your name would be made known. I want to invite you to pray for that, the prayer that Jesus prayed. And maybe for some of you in here, and maybe someone here today who you say, I don't know what I believe, but someone's been praying for you, and somehow you showed up here today. 
I want to give you a challenge and let you know that I believe that God, even Jesus, was praying for you. And God is drawing you into relationship with him. That's why you're here today. And someone's probably been praying for you. And so this morning, would you be willing to take that first step? To believe. You don't have to have all the answers this morning. You can still have your doubts. God's so big, he doesn't mind your doubts and your skepticism. He can handle it. But would you take that first step this morning of saying, I want to believe. Help me overcome the areas where I don't believe. I want this forgiveness that you give to me. And then the third thing is maybe there's some of you here, you're just discouraged. You're just discouraged because you feel like is your life making a difference? And maybe this morning God's saying, you're not alone. You don't have to play for the name on the back. It's about the name on the front, and you're not alone. Look around. There's a bunch of people who are with you, who are together for God's glory. And you don't have to do this alone. We want to walk with you for God's name to be made great. And so this morning, as we end with this one final song, we'll also be taking offering during that time. And so offering, and then it's a newer song, so we want you to look at the words and use these words as a prayer. And uh, when you're ready, join in and sing it as a prayer as well, as we just declare the type of church that we want to be together for God's glory, for His name. Because I truly believe that in our lives, if it's about you, God isn't glorified and you'll never be satisfied. But when we turn and make our lives about him and him being, come, being great, it changes everything. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time. I, I, I thank you. I thank you for 2,000 years ago when you prayed a prayer and you prayed for your followers. That I believe that prayer was for us today. That you pray that your name would be great through us in us, around us. And Lord, you prayed that we wouldn't be alone and that you would give us everything that we need to accomplish what you've called us to. So we're grateful this morning and we ask, Lord, that now that you would move in this place and you would help us be a church community that is on mission with you for your name here in Encinitas and to the ends of the earth. And God, for anyone who's here this morning who is never taken that first step of trusting you right now, I pray that you would speak to them and you would draw their heart to you, God. And if that's you, would you pray the prayer this morning and just say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you for forgiveness. Would you change my life from the inside out by your power? For the rest of us, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to walk with one another with unity because it's about your name, not ours. So we give you this time now, Lord, and ask that this final song be a song of just praise and prayer to you. So we give you this time now in your name. Amen.